and welcome to the Phil Hay Show, a weekly collaboration podcast between The Athletic and The Square Ball. I'm Dan Moylan and I'm joined fresh from Marcelo Bielsa's press conference by Phil Hay. Hello, Happy New Year. And from The Square Ball, Michael Normanson. Hello. And Daniel Chapman, aka Moscow White. Hello. If you want to catch up with all the best bits of Phil's writing, have a look on The Athletic. You can get 40% off your subscription right now by using the code LEADSPOD. And this podcast, one of 11 that The Athletic have launched at the minute, you can find them wherever you found this podcast. So how was Marcelo out of his press conference then, Phil? He was he was in good form. Where are we? In, injuries, first of all. It looks like Hernandez and Shackleton are over the worst of, of what's been bothering them. Um, available, according to Bielsa, although he quite often says that and then doesn't stick them in the 18 at the weekend. So I don't know whether we'll see them involved against Sheffield Wednesday or not. But they're certainly certainly back in, in the fold. Not so Adam Forshaw, but a bit of good news today. He's going to be out on the grass next week, uh, which... <laughs> Has to be a good sign. Cloud to pasture. Well, you might well ask. I mean, it's been weeks and months of waiting for him to come back, and weeks and months of Bielsa effectively saying the same thing, which is, I don't really know what's up with him. I don't really know when he's going to be back, and there's not a lot of point in in asking about him. And I think it's a, a bit of a frustration for everybody, not least um, Forshaw, who was going to be going to be pretty heavily involved this season. But they do need somebody. They need somebody extra in centre of midfield. They certainly need another body there. Um, this area where they they do look light, so they'll be crossing their fingers that he'll be fine and that when he gets back out next week he'll, he'll be okay. Uh, the thing that was interesting today was the amount that Bielsa spoke about Nketia who obviously went back after the West Brom game last week and I don't wouldn't go so far as to say has been forgotten already but evidently everybody moving on quickly and thinking more about the strikers who who have to come in but you can always tell with Bielsa when he's got something on his mind and, and more to the point when he's aware that something is being discussed at length around about him and he knows how much has been said about Nketi and he knows the, the debate over the amount of game time Nketi has had or, or hasn't had at Leeds and he essentially made the point today saying that it, he couldn't ever guarantee Nketi a minutes because he wouldn't guarantee anybody minutes um, and, and he was implying that the you know the reason for, for Arsenal recalling him which is, is absolutely correct was the fact that Nketiah wasn't playing enough and he didn't want to be apologetic about that he didn't want to say that it was a mistake on his part I think he feels that he's been as fair with Nketiah as he can be particularly because he was going to play him for a run of four games before he got injured in November and I would imagine is probably a little bit unhappy or, or certainly feels the need to fight his corner about how that's ended and, and the way in which it's it's ended early so when it's far as to say excellent player need a replacement need somebody who is just as good if not better and that still is 100% the priority. Do you think it's needled him a little bit, the response to Nketiah? I think it'll have needled him the fact that Nketiah is gone because uh, he did say himself, as far as we were concerned, the issue of how to replace Bamford or how to cover for Bamford was sorted when we signed Nketiah. He was supposed to be here for the season. He was supposed to be the player who would be standing for Bamford or, you know, depending on circumstances, our first choice if, if that was how it had worked out as the season season went on. And I think he'll be a little bit miffed to be in a position now where they do need a centre-forward and, and a very good one at, at quite short notice. And I think it's probably resistant to the idea that he could have played in Ketia more or should have played in Ketia more. And I've got to say, on the basis of the, the two starts he had at Birmingham and West Brom, it brought you to the conclusion that Nketiah doesn't fit the way Bielsa plays. He doesn't fit this team. It isn't suited for him. And, and actually, I was chatting to another journalist about this down at Arsenal on Monday. And when you look at the way Nketiah plays and his style, he looks like a striker who needs to play in a front two. And how many teams, how many top teams play with a front two these days very few certainly Arsenal don't and, and there is actually some talk now that he might stay at Arsenal I know he's he's spoken to Arteta about that and the possibility that he might stick around if he if he would get used but I'm not entirely sure how he fits in down there either and it's a, a strange scenario and I think it was it was the strange scenario at Leeds that everybody knew he was talented everybody knew he was a great finisher but ultimately nobody was quite sure how it was that he was supposed to fit I am intrigued by how that came about because it's kind of retrospectively and we've discussed it a bit about whether it was a a mistake to bring him in if he doesn't fit the system why is he here but then is there any insight into that because the people in the meeting this famous hour-long presentation that Victor Orta gave it's not like Victor Orta went in there and told Arsenal a pack of lies and they fell for something that you know he was never going to fit in here at all Victor Orta the Arsenal technical staff the player himself everybody involved sat down looked at Offers from, was it Dusseldorf and Bristol? Dusseldorf and Bristol City, yeah. And decided out loud, right, yeah, no, Leeds is going to be the right move. The way Leeds play, that's going to be fine. The player, he said, yeah, I can go and do everything that they're going to ask me of. So who 
how, what do we end up in the point where well, he finally gets in the team and he can't do it? Well, Bielsa referenced that today. He said, you know, the club worked very hard to, to get him in and it was those famous PowerPoint presentations that turned Arsenal towards Leeds and, and didn't put them off Dusseldorf or Bristol City. I think they'd have been happy for him to go there. But the feeling was, both from the Ketias camp and from, from Arsenal's loan team, that he would be best at Ellen Road. And you have to remember that this is his first loan, his first serious loan. And it's almost as if these four or five months have been a way of demonstrating what Nketiah can do and, and what Nketiah can't do. And I think it seems fairly evident at the moment that given his height and his physique um, and, and his style of play, that he's not an out-and-out centre-forward and certainly not in a team like Leeds where you, you need your centre-forward to to scrap and, and dig in in the way that, that Bamford does. And that's why they're so keen on Shea Adams. If you watch a lot of a lot of the footage of him and you, you look at his strengths he's a very similar player to Bamford and, and does a lot of the things that, that Bamford does and Bielsa said earlier that yeah we do need somebody who is essentially a replica of Bamford or, or who is a pretty straight swap if we find ourselves in the, the situation where Bamford needs to come out of the team and I, I would imagine that with Niketia they thought he could do that and as time's gone on it, it's been apparent to all of us that really he's, he's not, not suited to it and I thought Bielsa was pretty generous with him uh, when he spoke about his performance at Birmingham I thought it was a mistake to start him at West Brom and and although Bielsa said afterwards that he felt that Nketiah had, had kind of worn down West Brom's centre-backs and, and given Bamford the, the chance to take advantage of that it didn't feel like that to me it just felt that putting Bamford on the pitch gave Leeds the proper structure and proper focal point and, and actually made a huge difference so I think I think it was done in the right way back in August and it was done with the best of, of intentions but little by little it, it seems to me that actually the, they were looking for something different even though they didn't realise it yeah, we said in the wake of um, of that West Brom game, we felt like it was a definitive ruling almost on the Bamford or Nketiah argument because there was a very strong argument for giving him that run earlier in the season. Well, there was, and, and he was going to give him that run at the start of um, November and, until he got injured. And that kind of coincided with a little upsurge in Bamford's form. And by the time he came back, there wasn't really an, an argument for dropping Bamford or giving Nketiah a go other than a scenario like Fulham away where they were a goal down and they needed a, a change and, and he did try to change the system there. I mean, it surprised me a lot that Nketiah started at West Brom because they knew by that point that he was going back. Bielsa had found out the previous day, someone was saying that Nketiah had taken some cakes and everything up to Thorpe Arts would have been a bit of a giveaway sign that he was he was going. And, and if you remember what happened with Jack Clark, and granted Jack Clark hardly got a look in, but he was told on Christmas Day that he wouldn't be involved any further because Spurs were going to recall him they'd already told Leeds about that and Bielsa just felt that the, the kind of lingering lingering doubt about that or, the, or rather the, the certainty that Clark wasn't going to feature beyond the end of December meant that there was very little point in him in being involved and very little point in him turning, turning up to training and it did seem like a contradiction really that, that after that and with Nketiah in a position where he also was going that the decision was to start him in, in what was by a mile, the biggest game of the season. Well, why do you think that happened? Brom. Why did it happen? I think because Bielsa had it in his head after Birmingham that he was going to going to start him. He, he seemed happier with his performance at Birmingham than I think a lot of us were. I, I don't know what you three made of it, but it felt to me that he started well in Ketty. He had a, a big hand in in the second goal, but it became more and more difficult for him to more and more difficult for him to influence the game in the way that Bamford does even when Bamford isn't really seeing chances and, and isn't really looking like scoring you still feel like he's he's involved I don't know if that's how it felt to you three It was more the defending that was a worry for me in that game but yeah he wasn't uh, he didn't fulfil any massive needs he just seemed like a, a player there was nothing exceptional about him nothing brilliant about him a good, a, good, a good instinctive finisher but we didn't see much beyond that did we? No and you kind of thought oh if Bamford comes in for the West Brom game all well and good yeah, and I find it odd that the striker who you've backed so religiously through the season, particularly in the spells where he hasn't been scoring goals and when we've been asking every week, you know, uh, weekly press conferences after games about the, the Nketiah Bamford, you know, the, the the kind of mix up between those two and how that was going to work. And it was kind of constant narrative at Leeds that the biggest game of the season is the one where you pick Bamford to sit on the bench and you go with, with Nketiah it was peculiar I didn't really understand the, the rationale for it and and I thought when Bamford came on in the second half and made a, a very very quick difference it was hard to reach any other conclusion than it was a, a bit of an error on Bielsa's part On reflection I think it, it's quite good that he didn't perform particularly well in those two games because had he scored two goals in that West Brom game and then gone back there'd have been a bit of a panic of we, we were losing our our best striker now and that, how's that going to affect the season whereas actually the, the story from that game was that Bamford is the best player for us, even if not 
in terms of natural ability maybe or in terms of goal scoring but for the system we play he's the one we need so him going back is maybe not the worst thing in the world it's maybe that sort of substance over style thing and, and it's all about and, and this is always the case with Bielsa it's all about what fits best in in the framework that he creates and as I say the, the decision had already been taken by Arsenal at that point and I, I got the impression all the way through December that they were minded to take him back just because of how little he, he was playing but you're right I mean had there been goals in those two games from him I think it would have been far harder for everybody to swallow but because it didn't really work against Birmingham and because it definitely didn't work against West Brom everybody on mass seemed to feel do you know what if there is another striker out there who would fit this set up better then even though it's Arsenal's decision to take him back and Nketi as you can't pretend that he didn't want to go it might actually be for the best Well we'll move on to talking about replacements um, in the next bit and the transfer window I want to get your take on having come out this Christmas period now Phil what have we learned and where are Leeds United in the grand scheme of things? It was a decent Christmas in the end. It was a couple of late goals, Birmingham and Preston, away from actually being a pretty poor Christmas and it was difficult for them. But I think we I think we said before it started that the way the games had fallen meant that it was always going to be. I, I, there's something about St Andrews. I never feel optimistic going there. I don't know why. And Leeds never seemed to do particularly well there. But Fulham away was going to be hard. Preston at home, they're not your most aesthetically pleasing team at all and everybody knew that before the game but they know what they are and they know what they're about and they were very very well organised particularly in in the first half and Leeds found them extremely difficult to play against until things settled down after after half an hour or so and then obviously West Brom away was going to be tricky and I think the the thing was having nicked the the win at Birmingham and got a point at West Brom and actually looked like the better team at the Hawthorns everybody came away feeling pretty happy and it was kind of on it was kind of on edge for a point there was a a stage at which you, you felt that Christmas could just let the champion close up a little bit but in the end the gap's still healthy the the top of the league they're still looking good they still look like it is flowing quite smoothly I think Bielsa will be happy with it I mean Michael you were saying earlier in the week that if we came out of Christmas with a nine point gap and I know we've got Forest with the game in hand so it could be six but even still a nine point gap and you'd think oh we're almost you know one foot in the Premier League getting towards promotion but you're terrified I think it's just knowing what happened last year but any other team in our position I would think they were already promoted I would look at their squad I would look at the form I'd look at what they did last year, a bit like when, when Brighton came close and then just stormed it more or less the, the next year. I'd feel like that was happening, but because it's Leeds, I don't. You're taking the Neil Warnock view. That squad's no good. They've just been lucky. They've been consistent, grinding out the results, haven't they? That's Fulham and uh, Fulham with the better squad, Brentford with the better strikers. They're the teams that should be top of the league. I would accept the argument about Brentford on their best days. On their best days, and, and this has been true of them for quite a while actually, they can look as good as anybody in the division. Regardless of what Fulham have got in their squad, having seen them in the flesh and watched them a few times, I don't see much to impress me about them. All you know is that because of the players they do have, they do have the potential to do that sort of frustrating seven, eight, nine game winning run that they, they seem to come up with when they need. But it's, what Michael said is absolutely right. I mean, I look at West Brom and I think they're going up this season, they'll finish top two. But it's easy to think that about some, about another club and about somebody else's club. It's very much more difficult to take that attitude with Leeds and particularly when, you know, as, as you say, it was almost identical scenario this last season in every bit as good a position and, and somehow contrived to finish behind Norwich and Sheffield United. I'm still, though, not convinced that there are two teams who are going to get as high a points tally this season as Sheffield United and Norwich did. I think aside from West Brom, I'm, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, I mean, we, we ran the maths on this earlier in the week and it would take a remarkable run of form. You're talking from either Brentford or Forest, somewhere approaching 2.5 points per game and they're both on about 1.6 now, something like that. You're talking about a non-stop winning run and dropping only sort of 15 points, 12 points between now and the end of the season to pip us. But if there's one club that can do it, then I'm sure we can do our best to try and mess this up. Yeah, I, I, that cliche has been kicking around for years and years, but I think it took until the Derby semi-final for me to properly believe it last season and to think actually there, there's literally no situation that can't go wrong somehow even though it, <laughs> it seems utterly in, impossible. But I'm with you there and I think the other thing is I, I don't see huge amounts of money getting spent in the Championship this month. I mean, the Championship now is, is boiled down to a league where more and more clubs see their key business as the loans they can get from the Premier League and the way that Leeds again are going after Shea Adams and if it's not Shea Adams it might be somebody like Billy Sharp and it was you know not Billy Sharp they were looking at Rian Brewster um, over at Liverpool that you're not really seeing anybody to, I know Fulham have done 50 million on, on Cavalero but they'll be looking at that as, a, as one for a little bit further down the line I think in terms of immediate impact you're not going to see huge expenditure and I don't see any of the squads like Brentford or Forest or, or Wednesday going from the 
level of strength they're at now to a vastly superior level of strength at, at the end of the month. And, and all in all, you have to say that Leeds are, are beautifully placed. Oh, God. Well, we've got Sheffield Wednesday this weekend. I mean, they're certainly not going to be spending money. It seems like they're in a bit of trouble. Yeah, um, it goes back to a previous podcast, doesn't it? They've got this threat of punishment in the background from uh, from the authorities over the, the stadium sale, um, which has, again, become another trend in, in the Championship and is certainly causing them some grief. Uh, but from what we were told at The Athletic, it sounded like they would potentially be looking at a 21-point deduction, but it's hard to see this coming to a head anytime soon, and it's hard to think that even if tomorrow the EFL were to announce that it was a deduction of 21 points, that this isn't going to end up in court, given that Wednesday seemed to think that they had approval to, to do this, that they at the time when Sean Harvey was was in charge it was kind of they essentially had the green light to, to move ahead with the sale as, as they did so whether or not that's going to hit them I'm, I'm not sure but it it'll be lingering over them because they're in a, a very decent league position and they'll probably feel like they've got a, a decent hit at, at a playoff position and Obviously, that is going to be completely kiboshed if if twenty one points or even a, a you know a deduction of half that hits them at any stage. Doesn't it go beyond the stadium though? And there are reports of taxi companies that Chancery has set up through different companies that have never taken a passenger from A to B. That kind of thing. There is a lot to look into there, but the the issue with the stadium is not that they sold it because um to to Chancery because that's obviously happened at Villa and Derby and and Birmingham are, are in the same boat as well. It's the timing of the the sale and whether or not the sale actually fell into the accounting period which let them comply with the, the profit and sustainability rules and, and avoid EFL sanctions on that basis it's extremely complicated and, and with as with all of these things with the EFL there are endless grey areas where nobody really knows how it's going to resolve itself and it, it almost can't resolve itself without a bit of legal wrangling and without people deciding one way or the other what is legitimate and, and what isn't and it's the same as Spygate ultimately the, there wasn't a rule governing Spygate and the thing that hit Leeds was a kind of catch-all good faith which is pretty laughable in, in terms of <laughs> EFL football anyway but that's that's what was used and now of course there are specific rules and, and they came in in hindsight but this is another one where nobody's quite sure what's allowed what's not allowed and we're going to find out in due course when this settles itself Can we give a, a quick shout out to Sean Harvey at this point to your colleague Matt Slater on Tuesday came up they've seen the accounts for the uh, the football league that haven't been published yet uh, £150,000 a year Sean Harvey was earning when he took over at the Football League in 2013. His final year, he got paid £485,000 salary and another half million pound severance with a bit to take it over a million. So that's, he's managed to uh, uh, multiply his own salary by not far off 10 times. My maths isn't a strong suit, but there's, all, there's a big <laughs> jump from £150,000 a year to um, five years later, you're getting a million pounds to go away. Severance pay in football is a a wonderful thing. It's amazing how rich people get for uh, either underperformance or for for not doing very much. Darko Milinic always jumps out at me as somebody who earned pretty close to a million pounds for like 32 days work and presumably a few random meetings where the contract was negotiated in the first place but you know a, a lot it of would cash very random meetings though <laughs> well yeah that's true yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe they genuinely were the five hour epics or whatever and, and worth every penny of the uh, of the 800 grand he was paid but also I mean the, the, the reality with Harvey was that a huge number of clubs in the championship were very very unhappy with the last TV deal that was agreed and, and that was pretty much the, the end for him as far as I understand it anyway there was a lot of opposition to him remaining in in his position particularly from the the bigger clubs in the division or that is to say the clubs with the the clubs who pull in the most viewers when when Sky televised games of which Leeds Leeds were one Leeds didn't like the TV deal Derby didn't like the TV deal it was all very bitter and twisted so it has to be said that a 500k payoff in those circumstances is is pretty nice work for someone who's never done a good job anywhere (laughs) not bad at all in your opinion. In my opinion. <laughs> Just get that one in. <laughs> certainly, certainly from what we saw of him at Leeds and what we've seen since. Well, I mean, the record does speak for itself in terms of the administrations at Bradford, another one at Leeds, um, the TV deal, uh, the football. I mean, nobody's going to do a perfect job, but still, he he's not been well thought of anywhere to my mind no I think that's fair and you do have an issue in the championship that you have clubs like Leeds for example who could quite easily sell TV rights on their own and make a lot of money out of it you have clubs who could not really do that or could not do it in a way that would make them much cash so they much prefer the collective deal that gives you a guaranteed amount and it has to be said that if Leeds were to go up to the Premier League and suddenly they were to be told right you can sell your own 
TV rights and everybody takes their own money, then you're going to find a huge disparity between, say, Liverpool and Manchester United and clubs like like Leeds, who will learn nicely but won't be able to pull in as much as Liverpool could from from a kind of global global fan base. But I I never felt that in the time Harvey was at the EFL, the, the organisation developed in a way that was in any way particularly positive at all. And also the number of clubs who have been in trouble or, or have, have looked like running into trouble during that period is not a particularly positive legacy mm. either. Well, if one of them Sheffield Wednesday, we can kind of give him a pass on that. Well, again, you said that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, might have to, I might have to visit again next season, you never know. So back to Sheffield Wednesday. Yes. Um, um, we've had some good news. I mean, you've come from the Bielsa press conference. Gary Monk, uh, the Monk bot, has been doing his uh, his press conference down the road at the same time. And it looks like Stephen Fletcher is out for eight to ten weeks. So that's good news for us, isn't it, as we head towards the weekend? Yeah. He wasn't referenced by name by Bielsa, but he did talk about a good a good attacker who is definitely Fletcher with, with 12 goals, which is strange, really, because Fletcher for... You know, the duration of this long contract up until recently was kind of seen as a massive drain on the accounts at Hillsborough. He's, he's earning, from what I'm told, in excess of, of 30 grand a week. And at, at his best, could potentially be worth a, you know, a, a fair whack of a wage, but, but hasn't really made any impact other than this season where his contract is running towards conclusion at the end of it. Suddenly he's been very influential. And yeah, they look like they've lost him for, for eight to ten weeks. Do you think um, it's the hair transplants doing it for him? <laughs> well, do you know, I've been tempted myself, so maybe I should have a go and see what see what difference it, it makes, but that could indeed be the key. Hey, maybe he's been driving taxis in his spare time. Who knows? He could be doing anything. One of the many chancery businesses. <laughs> <laughs> Re-energised by that, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, in true Monk fashion, he said it's bittersweet because we'll we will have him back before the end of the season. I think they thought it could have been a bit more serious what happened to his knee, but I think it's mostly bitter losing him for eight, ten, twelve weeks. It's not um, not what they need, and it is going to leave them short of goals. I think. I mean, Gary Monk has been a thorn in our side whenever we've faced one of his teams in the last uh, season or so under Bielsa. How do we combat that? What can we look forward to on Saturday? Similar, do you think? Well, I I thought the game at Hillsborough first half of the season was one of the games in which Leeds were made to look most uncomfortable, never really settled into that. And and I thought, well, borderline deserving of a point, but if they'd got beaten down there, I think you'd have held your hand up, hands up and said, well, it was kind of that that sort of day. I mean, there's no no real sign of the 4-2-3-1 um, with Monk at Sheffield Wednesday that we got used to at Leeds. It's much more kind of 4-4-2, but he likes his midfield to press and they did that very well in the, the previous game between the, the clubs. He, he likes to likes to get a lot of energy in there and and, and it, it did work to good effect and, and he obviously two wins as well with Birmingham um, against Bielsa in the previous season. He, I don't know whether you could say that he, he's figured Bielsa's tactics out as well as, as anybody, but he certainly seems to be as prepared for them as anybody else in, in this division. But I mean, they're not infallible at all and they, they do have a bad tendency to switch off at the back. The marking can be can be pretty shoddy. And the big threat from them, which is not good news for Leeds, is from set pieces, particularly Barry Bannon. That is not our forte. And having thought in November, October time that, that Bielsa was maybe getting on top of that, it's certainly creeping in again. I assume that's Barry Bannon taking them, not heading them in. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Although Tom, I'd give Tom, him a chance Tom against Tom Lees has been heading them in. Um, but yeah, it's seven assists for for Bannon, 10 goals from set pieces, which is a chunky number. So yeah, no great secret there. How do we combat that press? Because we saw Preston do it to us on Boxing Day, very, very effectively pressing us high and wide in the full backs and we looked lost when that happened. you got to take risks. I mean, I, I thought they, they took a lot of risks down at Arsenal to good effect and um, some of Ilan Mesley's distribution and the kind of floated passes he was playing into to really tight areas were working because Leeds were very good at working it out of the space, uh, out of the, the tight space and finding that suddenly there were huge gaps open to to play into and, and that's pretty much it. You've got to find Leeds with Bielsa are never going to go long they're never going to try and go beyond the press with hoofed balls up front they, they, both Casilla and, and Mesley on, on Monday do have the ability to kind of stroke the ball to, to halfway but it is always kind of cultured and it is always placed passes as opposed to just an aimless punt so yeah they're, they're going to have to be good on the ball and they're going to have to be good in possession they're going to have to be good with their touch and if they are it's a, it's a winnable game You think we'll win? I think it'll be tight. I mean, I, I, I like you say that not a great record against Monk, and he does seem to be good at setting up against Leeds. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a draw on Saturday. And I, as I quite often say, I don't think a draw would be a terrible result. Mm, I think one 0 Leeds. I've got that one in my waters. Ah, good and optimistic. I'm hoping we've saved up everything against Monk, and we're just going to unleash it in one match. I would have liked the uh, points deduction to have been announced at the same time as um, Fletcher's injury. 
just to really demoralise them. So I'm hoping there might be a little bit of, of time for that before the game. But then, and then some kind of absolute hammering on, on Saturday would make me very happy. I'm sick of Gary Monk being having this hex over Marcelo Bielsa. It feels like the world is upside down when he has has the ability to, to nullify him. That shouldn't be how, how things work. Maybe they could do the QPR 2011 and announce the deduction, what, an hour before kickoff or something like that. Wreck the season there and then. <laughs> This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. Because if you're anything like me, it's it's hoodies and jeans or something my wife has bought me. I desperately need to level up with when it comes to my wardrobe. Yeah, I, I have to say I don't raise the levels of style in the press box at all. I never have. Moscow, on the other hand, yeah, good look. You think so? No. Ah. I wasn't aware that anybody in the uh, the Leeds press box was I'm turning heads as a walk past. It, yeah, no, there's a sort of East Berlin 1940s tone to it, but um, yeah, it's stylish. If you want to get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. There's a dead quick style quiz on there. Just tell us about the stuff you like, your budget, your size, your shape, and then your personal stylist will send you five hand-picked items of clothing from a selection of 100 brands. And those brands, they include like established names, emerging designers, and exclusive brands that you're not going to find anywhere else try them on at home best way to do it isn't it comfort of your own home not one of those horrible mirrors in the shops and see how it fits with the rest of your clobber and then you can pay them for what you love and send the rest back for your stylist time you pay a tenner which is deducted from the cost of anything that you then decide to buy and so you can try it before you buy at home delivery and returns are free both ways and you don't need a subscription to sign up so you can save time with stitch fix you can discover new styles stuff you might not have chosen yourself get a stylist on the case and you can get styling tips how to match stuff up and wear it best to get started with stitch fix today and support this podcast you can go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now that's s-t-i-t-c-h-f-i-x.co.uk forward slash athletic well we threw this section open to you we want to do a question and answer with phil here then find out uh, the answers to what you want to know and the number if you want to get involved by the way in future weeks 07899 triple five four five nine open up whatsapp and then you can record a little voice memo and then we will feature you on the show loads of questions have come in and thank you to everybody who sent them in as well loads of questions have come in around similar themes one of which is the january transfer window so we've heard from michael keith waz and lewis Hi there, my name is Michael, I'm 22 and I'm from Ireland. I've been a Leeds fan my entire life. So my question, in January, we probably need another fit centre-half now, but I'd like to get Phil's opinion on why we haven't strengthened. And I know Phil is going to say the answer that Bielsa's happy with his squad, but is there another reason? Is it a financial reason? Is is it something that Bielsa has been told that he's not going to get players midway through the season? So I'd just like to get Phil's opinion on that. Thanks. Keith from Keith yeah. You still think the squad needs at least a couple of players to come in this month? Surely Andrea and Ray must realise that Leeds need not to fall into the same trap as last season when the nerves and the legs went. All the best, boys. What's the backup striker situation coming for New Year? Hi, guys. This is Lewis. Run the Dubai Whites. Looks like we're not going to f- spend anything in January. Last year, that came back to haunt us. Do we think that we we should really go out there and get another centre-back as cover if we get a long-term injury and probably another striker as cover if Bamford was injured is because ultimately the squad looks thin. So, yeah, we just wanted to get Phil's thoughts on that. Keep on the good work, guys, and hopefully this season we do it. And we got one in as well via Twitter from Nathan Adams, who also says, why don't we uh, make Jack Harrison permanent? means we can get two more in the matchday squads and surely he's worth less now than he would be in the summer. So, Phil, January transfer window, it's open. You're fairly adamant the club's looking at Shea Adams. Lots of mentions of um, of centre-forwards in there. We need one. Yeah, um, Waz kind of asked what's the backup striker situation for the new year, to which the answer is, well, there isn't one at the moment until they get somebody else. And, and even Bielsa was saying we need to, to get this this fixed as, as soon as possible, really. And, and they are ticking on towards the halfway point of, of the window. If they can do what they want to do, it it will be Shea Adams from Southampton. And kind of getting mixed messages from, from that end. I, I get the impression that, that Southampton as a club would be quite open to the idea of, of Adams going and coming here. And, and I'm told as well that, that Adams himself would be very keen to move. But I think Raf um, Hassenholt down there is less than keen to see him leave just because 
just because of the fact they've had a, a big upturn in form, Adams has kind of been involved in that. And I think he realises that he isn't blessed with, with vast attacking options, even though they are having a look themselves. But they don't have a huge budget. They don't have a huge amount of cash. Equally, I think Adams kind of feels that it, it's not worked brilliantly for him down there and, and is, is tempted to look elsewhere. If they're going to do Adams and if there is a deal to be done, I, I think they're either going to get drawn into doing what they did with um, Helder Costa, which is committing to a future transfer at the point where they loan him um, this month, or at the very least to loan him with the, the kind of option that they've got for, for somebody like Harrison and, and Meslier to make sure that it's not just a simple simple six-month loan, which I don't think Southampton would be interested in, in doing anyway. And when Lewis was kind of saying that it looks like we're not going to spend anything in, in January, they, they will spend to some extent. I mean, with, for an example with Adams, there'll be a loan fee involved as there was with, with Niketia, but they're certainly not going to spend big because there isn't a huge amount of money at Ellen Road and they don't have a, a, that much wriggle room with financial fair play either. And the question about Jack Harrison, why don't we do Jack Harrison to free up a, another loan space, is that um, Harrison's buyout clause will be about £8 million and at this stage it just can't be done for that money. So you'd be looking at what, maybe half of it up front there, £4 million, which we can't commit to? It, it tends to be amortised, so over the course of, of his contract, but even even next summer you're in a position to, to spend far more, particularly if you go up, but even if you don't, you're back, on, back at the start of the season and you can structure things differently because the, the FFP window runs over the 12 months of the, the financial year so basically over the over the season so likewise with, with Mesley he'll cost from what they say in France around about £5 million from Lorient and, and there is an option to do that but to do both of those deals at the moment you'd be talking about an outlay of well, several million pounds, even if you were only paying instalments. And, and I think that would take leads beyond the, the profit and sustainability levels that they're, they're trying to keep to. There are people who are, who are questioning that, though, and saying, well, why aren't we spending anything? Get your wallet out, Rads, and that kind of thing. Uh, are we genuinely that close to the FFP um, the, profit and sustainability? Yeah, I mean, the, the, well, to take the club at, at face value, that's what they said in the summer, and, and that's what they're, they're saying again now. And, I mean, there are um, avenues for shareholders to invest more cash, including Radrazani, and there hasn't been shareholders older investment over the past 12 months from him or from the 49ers and, and as yet and there's been all the talk of QSI um, and, and money from Qatar but as yet no agreement there for, for them to invest money in the club either so you have a limit a limit of what you can spend in general you have a limit of what you can spend in addition via cash that's injected by shareholders and, and if you breach those you tend to get hit with a transfer embargo or in the case of somebody like Birmingham City you're at risk of, of a points deduction and I think you always have the option of disregarding it on the basis that you think you're going to get promoted and once you get out of the division, who cares and what can the EFL do to you? But the risk is that you don't get out of the division and, and you, th- you then find that even if you are in a potentially healthy situation, as Leeds were at the end of last season, even though they didn't go up, if you suddenly find that your options and your freedom in the in the transfer market are, are limited by an embargo, you're in big trouble. We got a question from Chris, actually, along the lines of what you've just been saying there. Have we approached the 49ers for more investment during the season or anyone else for that matter? And you're sort of suggesting that Radrizani has not put his money in this year then. So there is well, a little well, bit of no, I room. mean, c- certainly to go by company's house there's been no fresh shareholder investment um, registered there which would, there would have to be had money gone in for, for additional shares um, the 49ers have, have got a minority stake and in the championship it actually ticks over year after year it goes up just by a, a very small amount but as the part of the deal they did with Radrazani their shareholding increases fractionally um, as year after year in the championship goes by I'm not sure I see them investing more cash for to increase their minority stake. I think if, if the 49ers were to get properly involved with another investment deal, it would be to look at a, a buyout of the club and, and a takeover of the club. And, and in amongst all the talk about QSI and the, the presumption that it will be QSI that Radrazani sells to if he sells to anybody, there have been people at Leeds who've said, well, you know, you shouldn't discount the, the 49ers in this because they have the, the money to do it. They have the kind of sporting expertise with the, the NFL background and would potentially be every bit as keen as, as an organisation like QSI to do it. So no, as we stand, and, and as I say, you, you go by company's house on this, but there is no record of, of further shareholder investment there. And on that basis, you assume that there's been none. So how much would that be? Because I know there are the upper limit is £8 million of losses, is that right? That's right, that's yeah. right. And yeah. that is if you put money in at shareholder level. So we, do we have a, a, a gap of £8 million? I, I would suggest it would be somewhere in that in that region, yeah. Because you, you I think the upper limit in total over your um, three-year cycle is around about £37 million. And that's what you've, you've got to kind of work towards. And I think the thing that the Birmingham punishment did last season, the, the points deduction, was it made clubs think that actually... 
despite appearances, the EFL did have teeth and the EFL would punish people for, for breaching PNS in certainly in a way that they saw to be flagrant or, or aggravated. And that, I think, is going to be part of what hits Wednesday if Wednesday do get a big points deduction will be the fact that they'll have been seen to have circumnavigated the rules but to have done it in a way which the, the EFL think was an aggravated breach. Is there a willingness then in the club to try and avoid a scenario like we saw last January? Because whether you want to blame them or not, there have been fingers pointed at the club about what happened with Dan James and the failure to get somebody in. in well, that yeah, window. So- and, and the reality is that it wasn't it wasn't entirely their fault with Dan James and actually the bulk of the blame lay with, with Swansea City, although there was some wrangling on deadline day about when the loan fee was going to be paid um, and the, the initial instalment leads were trying to pay in the summer, which was not particularly bright because you know it wasn't a great PR move for Swansea to be letting Dan James go on loan to another championship club anyway. So you, you would have assumed that at the very least they would want some money up front for that. Um, but ultimately Leeds were willing to do that and, and it fell down for, for other reasons. But it did leave them without anybody in that position and it did leave them without any really significant addition other than Kiko Casilla in goal and I've spoken to a few people and I think they are mindful of that this time and they know that Shea Adams might well be one that that runs towards the end of the window if it if it does ultimately have legs and I think they would be wary of getting caught again in a position where everything was banked on Adams all the eggs were in that basket and, and ultimately it fell through at the last minute so I wonder whether over the next week week and a half they'll they'll look seriously at that and try to work out whether that is happening or not and and if they kind of get the feeling that that it might not whether or not they'll look elsewhere and wingers then young winger are we looking at a young winger is this a correct yeah um, no no names out out on that at the moment the the goalkeeper is um is a 18 year old from italy elia caprio who who plays at chievo italy youth international who is going to come in as an under 23s player and there was some thought in, in December and certainly at the, the turn of the month that they might bring in an experienced, very experienced keeper, but somebody who'd be quite willing to sit as cover for Mesley in the event that Casilla was banned and, and Mesley ended up his first choice, just in case it turned out that the young French teenager was not up to it or was struggling and, and they felt like they needed to hand the gloves to somebody else until Casilla was back. But Mesley played so well down at Arsenal on Monday and, and they've, they've got so much confidence in him anyway that I don't think there's any doubt now that he will play for the duration of, of Casilla's ban if and, if and when that kicks in and it looks as if we'll, we might finally get round to that being resolved in at some point in, in February so he'll come in and, and they're, they're looking at a winger as I say no names at this stage but it will be somebody fairly young it will be somebody with a, a bit of potential and, and the message has always been that it'll be three tops it'll be a goalkeeper it'll be a winger but um, more than anything else it, it has to be a striker and I don't even think you can accuse the club of, of any propaganda in saying that I mean Bielsa is sitting quite openly saying we need a striker we've got to get a striker and he's got to be as good as Nketiah, if not better. So if it doesn't happen, you can assume that he'll not be best pleased. Striker, winger, maybe a backup keeper. Would you be happy with that, Michael, Moscow? Yeah, I'd be more than happy with all three. I think I'd be happy with just a striker, to be honest. If, if I could guarantee we'd get the striker that Bielsa wants and not get a keeper and a winger, I think that'd probably I agree be just about enough because Jack Clark hasn't really featured and what we've seen, Meslier looks fine and reserve goalkeepers, unless you're very unlucky... They're not going to play anyway. I mean, you said the words right there. <laughs> so maybe if, if a kid from Italy can come and help, that will do as well. I am fascinated by the prospects of Marcelo Bielsa managing Billy Sharp for the rest of the season. Even, yes. Whether that's the striker he wants or not, whether that's the striker to get us promoted or not, part of me, I think the part of me that just wants to burn everything down is like, yes, let's forget about Shea Adams and we'll just go straight for Billy Sharp, please. Well, they do like Sharp and it's all getting a bit weird down at Bramall Lane given that you've got this lifelong fan, club captain, got the club promoted last season up into the Premier League and all of a sudden it, it feels like it's getting it's getting a bit out of shape between him and, and Chris Wilder, almost to the point where they're dancing around trying to avoid being the one who says either I want to go or you can leave. I mean, Wilder was asked again about it today and and he said, if Billy Sharp wants to leave, Billy Sharp can go, which is a case of here's the ball, knock it into your court, it's it's your call. I mean, the one thing I know about Sharp from the 14-15 season when he was here was that he was very, very unhappy when he wasn't playing. I mean, we interviewed him a couple of times after... Redfern took over and decided that he was going to play one up front and it was mostly going to be Steve Morrison but he was going to rely on a midfield of five to make sure that they got enough points to get out of trouble and and stay up Sharp was a bit of a spare pig and the couple of times we interviewed him his body language and his his comments there wasn't much of an attempt to to paint a you know, I'm just one of the players here and I've got to fight for my place it was very much a case of I'm pretty fed up with this and, and I'm not happy so 
again, I mean, this kind of applies to Shea Adams as well, except the difference with Adams is he's young. So Leeds can kind of sell this come on loan, but also we're going to do a permanent deal for you. So, you know, this is a, a kind of wider option as opposed to just a short escape from the club that you're at. Billy Sharp's, what, 33? Um, and I don't really see how there could be much of a longer term option factored into into any deal. And if he's unhappy not playing at Bramall Lane, I'm not sure what's going to make him happy at Ellen Road. I think being two stone lighter for the first time, it will be the thinnest he's ever been in his career. Maybe it'll be it'll bring on a new a whole new player. <laughs> but, but, but I mean that it's not even a joke. That I mean he, he will seriously find that it's ridiculously strict levels of fitness and everything else here, which he'll be inclined to. Well, will be forced to to stick to, um, and might well find pretty difficult in the way that most of the players there have found pretty difficult, but have now acclimatised to. I, I don't know what sort of condition Shea Adams is in, but he has been playing for Southampton and and has looked relatively decent in the games that that he's played in. And I mean, I'd, just out of interest, I was looking back at Adams' performances against um, Leeds last season, and it has to be said, so much of what he does is very similar to what Bamford does with more goals, and you can see straight away why it is that he would fit in pretty seamlessly you can see as well why clubs end up getting caught out in January with the like the Dan James circumstances if if Shea Adams fits and there isn't another player out there that fits like him and plan B is Billy Sharp and there's and then after that there's just nobody in price range or nobody available or nobody wants to move there's just there's just not the depth of market that you can go and have your pick like in summer when everybody's out of contract or moving clubs and everybody's got careers on their minds then you can see why you, you do want to leave it to the the last week if there's a chance of getting the one you want rather than ending up with with Billy <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. at the same time purely for just entertainment yeah. purposes. I mean, you imagine... Um, he was very good for Sheffield United last season. Yeah, he was. Really there was. is still... I mean, I'm joking about it to an extent and the fitness thing will be an issue in his personality thing, but he was good here. Like, in his mm. limited time, I didn't have a particular problem. He's one of the few players out of uh, out of that era who kind of came in and didn't really do what you would have wanted him to do, but then left and he kind of went, yeah, that, that's all right. There's no, there's no real thing. And, it, and ever since... There's always been a thing you can tell whenever he's played for Sheffield United against us, he really wants to yeah. beat us because he's Sheffield United through and through. But there's almost, it's not been that Steve Morrison factor. It's, this has actually been of like a respectful kind of, he wants to beat us. Prove a point, yeah. He's a, no, well, because he's a competitor. Yeah. No, I want to come in and have a really good game and, and show you how good I am because I appreciate it here. It was just terrible timing for Billy Sharp. I mean, the, he, he was part of that big mashup of players from here, there and everywhere that Chilino was trying to put together. And I mean, they only really got into him properly after the start of the season when it was apparent that the, the squad they put together um, and, and got turned over at Millwall wasn't going to be good enough. And as I say, he found himself stuck in that situation where they were playing Morrison because they needed a target man and Billy Sharp wasn't going to be that. And he was gone by the end of that season. And you, you kind of felt that it's almost typical Leeds, really, that this is the one club where it hasn't worked for him. Every, almost everywhere else he's gone, he's scored goals and he should have been perfect signing. He should have been, given, even if you were a bottom half side, he should still have been giving you 10 to 15 goals. And in the end, he, he couldn't get a game. And I know I, I was out on pre-season when he was there um, with Uwe Rosler and it was very, very clear that he wanted to go at that stage and, and it didn't take long for the, the Sheffield United move to come round. But I thought it was interesting what Dan said because, yeah, I think something like Sharp would be much more difficult for Bielsa to manage than probably the entire squad that are there at the moment I think Sharp is probably closer to Pontus Janssen than anybody who is on the books at the moment and I suspect it would be more difficult to manage than than a Shea Adams as well you're talking about a, a pretty big personality and a pretty big profile and somebody who's done a lot in the game and at 33 is not going to be knocked about himself so that would be a fascinating one if it if it happened but Adams is certainly first choice Right, let's take a leap into the future then. A flight of fancy, if you will. A similar question asked by Harry. And here on the clip, we have Sam, who's in Thailand, and Shami as well. Hi, Phil. Sam in Thailand here. I don't like to say this, but if, if we should go up, if we do go up, touch wood, do you think there'll be wholesale changes or do you think that we will pretty much have the same squad as we do now? Thank you. If Leeds get promoted this year... Where do you think we need to strengthen in the Premier League? I mean, let's get there first. That's what I'd say. Yeah, good idea. Yes. <laughs> and then yeah. worry about it. But there is, I guess there's a question we have to start pondering over. We can't ignore the fact that the P word is there on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, we've all been fishing with um, Bielsa with this one, particularly because of the Arsenal game. You know, how do you think you matched up to Premier League side? What do you, you know, players ready for it and so on. And we knew we'd get nowhere with them and we have got, got nowhere with them. But um, at some point, if, if they do go up, he'll need to cut to the chase on that one and, and tell us what he thinks. I mean, my reading of it, 
um, is based on his track record, which is generally to stick with and keep faith with players who've done well for him and, and the kind of inherent belief he has that, that players can get better and should get better if he coached them in, in the right way. But more than that, if you look at what they've done with contracts, they've tied Cleek down for a long time. They've tied down Hernandez for another couple of seasons. Berardi at the moment is the only senior player of note who's up at the end of the season um, and, and at this stage hasn't been offered an extension and I, I start to wonder whether him and his family will go back to Italy when um, when this is all done. But essentially, the squad, and you've had new contracts for Lee Cooper, you've got Casilla who's on a, a lengthy deal. It hasn't been done in a way that's going to make it easy to have a clear out in the summer and I don't think anybody is, is planning for that, least of all Bielsa. They definitely definitely have to make signings. I mean, they, they'll have to have to add to the squad. I think it would have to be deeper than it is at the moment as well. And I, the one thing I did come away from Arsenal thinking is that they're going to have to find a way to score more goals and I think on that basis they do need to address the the situation up front they do need to have somebody who is a bit more prolific than Bamford Yeah there was a lot to take from the Arsenal game one that yeah we should be promoted now because we're clearly good enough to be there (laughs) and then two the players that looked good enough to be there I thought Click looked completely natural which you would never have expected um, under his well his half a game under Thomas Christensen the whole right side really Ayling and Harrison were both superb Harrison in particular looks an absolute steal at 8 million if we take him from Manchester City for that that would be brilliant I don't think he'll have a problem in the Premier League Meslier is clearly the the best goalkeeper in all (laughs) all four divisions no question so that's that's probably the best midfielder as well and then the ones we were missing it would have been nice to see how Liam Cooper coped especially with Ben White under pressure for a change and perhaps knocking a few million off off his fee at the end of the season because he, he it was the first time we'd really seen him not coasting through a game and that helps our argument of saying you know Brighton he's not been very good this year <laughs> um, not at that level and for sure as well I think that's the one player who obviously because of uh, I mean Bielsa said the other week that he, he, he cannot recover 100% and everybody thought he was being put down um, <laughs> but it, a player who you'd expect he's been in the Premier League before with with Middlesbrough and done yeah. well and shouldn't have a problem repeating that. He's the one question mark at the moment for sure and that's probably the thing that, that could change um, the, the transfer policy towards the end of the, the month. It, he, as I said, he, he's, he looks like he's getting much closer to first team training now but this has been going on for ages. I mean, weeks and weeks where he just cannot get over this, fully over this groin strain and they're in two minds at Leeds. I don't think they they wouldn't want to do for sure and mentally by signing a centre mid and essentially saying, look, do you know what? We've lost faith in your fitness and we don't think that you're going to be able to contribute. But equally, there might come a point where they have to think about making sure that they are covered in in that area. I mean, I I constantly wonder how long it is that Cleek can just go on and on and on and whether actually he'll just play until he's about 110 and and without break ever. I mean, I, I thought he would be... They obviously needed him at Arsenal, but you sort of thought if anybody was going to have a breather for that, not that he would have wanted to, it was going to be him just because of how many how many games he's played on, on the bounce. I think they need more in, in the centre of midfield. Cleek will be, will be good, I think, going forward, but they'll need a bit more there. I also think they're going to get to the point where they've got to get themselves a fixed left-back, whether it's Barry Douglas or, or anybody else. And Douglas has actually looked decent in the past couple of games. I say this all the time, but you're just waiting for it to be the Barry Douglas who was at Wolves and who was, you know, borderline team of the year. And that he's, season. And he's never got going, has he, really? No, and I, I always try to bear in mind that at Wolves he had ridiculous players alongside him like Neves and Jota who he does you know, have a ridiculous player alongside him, Ali Husky. Well, <laughs> yeah, in, in, in different form. Um, I guess it would be, I hate to say it's easy to look good in that Wolves team, but if you're going to look good in a team, it's likely to be in a team with Neves and, and Jota. I mean, I say quite openly, I think if you put Wolves in this league now, that Wolves team in this league, they'd win it. They'd win it ahead of West Brom and, and Leeds, regardless of how good Leeds are under, under Bielsa. So no, it hasn't ever quite happened. But I think seeing him play in, in the last couple of games, that's good enough. The level that he plays to is what you want from a left back in the championship, and and that would do. But that position, and it's not even just under Bielsa for years and years, it feels like left back is just constantly somebody passing the baton to somebody else, and then back, and then onto a new signing that doesn't quite work. And Lawrence de Bock comes in, and then we, he gets binned off to to Sunderland. Uh, so that I think is somewhere where they they definitely need to find a, a kind of long term option. Mm. I mean, on my sheet here, I've just scribbled down um, spine of the team because I was going to say centre-back, centre-midfield, number 10 and centre-forward, really. What do you reckon, Moscow? Well, yeah, I was going to. I was wondering if there's, uh, on the foreshore thing, whether there is the faith in Robbie Gotts 
that he can be the one. He starts against Arsenal, he's on the bench for every game. So if in a game, Click or whoever, or Dallas in midfield were injured, Goss is the one who is who is next in line to come on. Is there the feeling that we could go the end of the season if something happens, if Foreshaw doesn't play and we need another body, Goss is the one? I would have said that Shackleton was probably further forward than, than Goss. I thought Goss was very decent, actually, at Arsenal. I thought he fitted in well in the first half. The game did get away from him 15 minutes after half-time, but it got away from Leeds in general. Overall, though, I came away thinking that I'm not sure, having seen Goss, that at this stage and, and right now, you'd want to drop 20 championship games in a row on him. I, I don't know whether it would be right for him and, and whether it would be too soon. And, and I just feel that they could probably benefit from a kind of foreshore level player, somebody with that pedigree and, and that amount of proven ability and experience as well to be an option. Although Bielsa just doesn't seem to want that option at all. And he thinks as highly of foreshore as he does of anybody in his squad. He constantly says, when I came in, he was our best player. And I don't think he's ever really deviated from from that view. But the number 10 is an interesting shout because they definitely don't have one aside from Hernandez. Regardless of what they've tried to do at times with Cleek and with Tyler Roberts, there isn't a natural number 10 there attacking midfielder and I think it's becoming pretty clear that it, it would be it, there wouldn't be much sense in relying on Hernandez for an entire season um, to do that I think the intensity in the Premier League um, and the number of games you play is obviously lower than than in the Championship where it is just hell for leather and matches constantly but still he's you know he's ticking on into his late 30s and it was interesting that they were linked with, with Luke Freeman who by all accounts they're, they're not in for at the moment but he kind of falls into that mould of player that looks affordable and has potential to improve and somebody that you think Bielsa could do good things with and I think that is kind of what they're, that's kind of what they're lacking just that attacking element in the midfield Did you like Jack Harrison on Monday in your what you called the false seven doing Pablo's job coming in off the right? Very much so, and it seemed to make the most of his left foot, really, and Arsenal found him really, really difficult to read, and, and it did feel that once the team got shuffled around in the second half, it didn't work quite as well, and, and in fairness, it was never going to work great when, towards the end, you had Stevens on the right, you had Costa in the centre of midfield, and it was all just whoever can play whatever, go for gold. But yeah, it was quite interesting, that, because, I mean, Harrison is is out-and-out left winger, that's how Bielsa uses him, and I hate heat maps, but if you look at heat maps, his just run up and down the, the left-hand side. But it did look there like a, an alternative option. And I don't think it would be impossible to play Costa on the left. So it does give Bielsa a bit of versatility. And I mean, they're kind of his crucial positions because they play wide so much leads and those two players carry the ball so much that they've they've got to be on it and they've, they've got to be good. But I'm with you. I think eight million, seven, eight million pounds for Harrison would be money well spent in the summer. And I'm certain they'll do that deal. Which feels strange to say after last season. Yeah. I don't think over summer many people would have been keen to spend spend 8 million quid on him no not at all and I think prior to that season City probably valued him more at a higher price again because they brought him over from the States and he was so well thought of and everything else but I, I think last season kind of readjusted everybody's thoughts as to what he was he was actually worth um, so when Leeds negotiated the option it sounds like it was for around about 8 million pounds and, and like you say I'm, I'm not sure last summer People would have been queuing up to force Leeds to spend that money, but as it is, I think it would kind of be a it'd be a bit of an open goal, really, because particularly if they get promoted, eight million pounds is not a lot of cash. And I mean, this this could apply to Shea Adams as well. I mean, if if you agree a future permanent deal with him, say for something in the region of ten million, I mean, he went for fifteen, but obviously it's not gone particularly well for him the first half of the season at Southampton. Is that a lot of money in the Premier League? Not really. If it doesn't work, is it a huge problem? And ultimately, if he gets you up, is it was it worth doing? Answer's probably yes. Yeah, just going back to Arsenal and youth players, uh, Robbie Gotts, you spent either side of the game with his family. How was that? I did. I, I met his brother down in London. His brother studies down there. He was a, a decent footballer himself when he was young and he was in the, the shadow squad at Leeds, but he, he didn't make it. And um, he's down playing with Peckham Town now. He's, a, he's doing graphic design course at UCL. And... It's always great finding out more about them from from the family because you get a you get so much more depth than you do when you just find out the basics of the you know the kind of footballing background and so on and and it turned out that his brother Joe was was an Arsenal fan when he was young only for a temporary period and he's he's caught the Leeds bug since but when they were young their dad aunt um, who's a painter and decorator did that whole half and half thing in the bedroom that they shared so one half was red and white checks for Arsenal the other side was all done in um, blue white and and yellow and they had flags above their beds and. 
so on. And he was saying that they were having a joke about that last week when they found out that Gots was going to start because obviously they, they remembered that it used to be um, it used to be that divide in in the household. But I mean, he's he's just a classic academy kid. Is Gots? He's been there since he was about seven. He, he's you know nigh on twelve, thirteen years now. He's gone up through the age groups. He looks very well grounded and really mature kid. And I always think with Leeds, they they do recruit at all levels and they do bring in academy players under twenty three players under eighteen players. But the best of them invariably seem to be the kids who've been there from the start and have been there since primary school age and and have grown up all the way through. But it was really funny meeting his mum and his dad because they'd only found out on Saturday that that he was going to be starting at Arsenal. They hadn't planned to travel because they didn't particularly want to. They've done it so many times. They had had work for for one thing, but also I don't think they fancied game 36 of sitting there thinking, is he going to come on? Is he going to come on? Um, So they they were feeling a little bit sick. They were looking suitably nervous and and it was fascinating to see them afterwards because rather than sort of wild excitement or whatever else it was just kind of looks of relief that he'd done fine and, and he'd coped okay and I think it gives you some indication of what it's like for parents of academy kids that you know it's it's, it's exciting for the boys and, and they have their dreams but from a parental point of view I think you're just constantly hoping that they're going to be all right. It did make me wonder about Bielsa's reaction to Enketia going back today when you know he's mentioned before that he feels guilty about Gotts and the the 35 games that he's he's spent on the bench it's almost like you know if you think you've not had enough minutes Eddie have a look at this angel who <laughs> I have I have abused for <laughs> week after week without even giving a, a a hope of getting on the pitch even having it snatched away when they thought Click couldn't make it and then Click was fine yeah, I do wonder if, if that maybe plays into Bielsa's thoughts where he's just like, if you don't think this is this is enough for you, there's people here who do. Yeah, and it's typical Bielsa, isn't it? At no stage in those 35 games was there a point where he thought, do you know what, I'll just give him a few minutes so at least he's at a debut. <laughs> yeah. Or actually, this would be a good opportunity. But then come Arsenal away, where they're, they're going to... Well, absolutely, but that but that is the fact. And, and Yeah, four up at home to Borough, you're probably thinking, go on. Yeah, me, just, just give me five minutes here. But, no. but Bielsa's attitude would be, what is that actually worth? You know, what's the what does it amount to? It and what does that say that you think about that player? Think, oh, you can only come on when the game's won. Whereas he's now, he's put that market down. So what I think about you, Robbie Gotts, is that you can play at Arsenal. You can play against Premier League players. That's that's your debut. It's not the easy one. It's not when there's there's no pressure on you. I think you can handle that. And he did. And then meanwhile, what game did Eddie and Ketty have that weekend? Well, yeah. None? It, it's a fair point. I mean, they, they don't... Um, you have some managers who, you know, it's constant office door open and players can come in and, and so on. You don't get into Bielsa's very easily, but Gott's brother was saying that he'd, he'd called Robbie in specifically because he was starting to feel so bad about this. And that, that was he was talking about this in a recent press conference about saying to him, you know, if you wanted to leave, I would totally understand, basically. Um, to which Gotts, I don't think, had any interest in doing that at all. But he was saying all oh, half the players up there were, were calling him Bielsa's son because nobody <laughs> gets through the door. Um, and all of a sudden, it was him who was it was getting signalled up. So they think a lot of him. As I say, my, my feeling on Monday was that it was a, a good debut and a really brave debut in the circumstances. But I wonder if he maybe needs a little bit more before they, they can really start loading it onto him. Interesting contrast maybe with Ryan Edmondson and a question that James had. Bill, why is Bielsa so averse to playing Ryan Edmondson or putting him on the bench against Arsenal? Seems to score loads of goals for the under-23s, but just never really gets a look in. Seemed like he kind of slimmed himself down as well after the last season to get in shape, but still no dice for Bielsa. Uh, just interested if there's any info on that. He didn't have a great summer, Edmondson, from what I was told. I, I don't think he progressed in the way that other under-23s did. I don't think he caught the eye for Bielsa in, in the same way. And when Bielsa talks about this, he talks quite a generic way, but he'll say the players who play are the players who deserve to play. And all I can deduce is that he's either not sold on Edmondson at all, he's not sold on him yet, but one way or the other, he doesn't feel that, that he's ready and he doesn't feel that he's right for the team. Seems to be there's almost a, a feeling of integration into the first team group as well. Seems to be almost very, it's hard to break into that group. Yeah, well, for example, Gotts last season, from time to time, he would be taken across from the 23s to, to do some work with um, with Bielsa's squad. Uh, but to all intents and purposes, it, it was 23s training for him. He, he wasn't he wasn't involved with the first team day to day, whereas from the start of this season, from the summer, it has been first tra- team training for him constantly. So that gives him the message and tells him that, that he is pretty much on that that verge of, of tipping over to either substitute appearances or, or starts. And, and Edmondson doesn't seem to be there. Despite the goals, it doesn't seem like he's like he's making any progress on that front. And and I sort of feel that if he hasn't played by now, when is he going to? It doesn't feel to me like it's going to happen. 
And on to a question now then concerning Marcelo Bielsa's future, a few different ways of angling this one. Um, on the clip you'll hear from, it sounds like an early Beatles lineup does this, by the way. Paul, Jordan, George, Joe and Pete. Hello, gentlemen. I've got a quick question about uh, Bielsa and he, I guess his long-term future. I guess it's commonly felt that he, regardless of whether we get promoted or not, his time at Leeds is, is probably limited to maybe another season or two, even if we do go to the Premier League. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on his replacement and whether or not you think that our replacement for him lies internally with his assistants, be it either Diego or Carlos, probably the obvious ones that have served long apprenticeships under him and would be ready to take the reins and step out from behind his shadow. Anyhow, keep up the good work, lads. All right, lads. Got a question for Phil. All being well, we grew up this year. Do we think Marcelo will definitely stick around next season? Just looking at his uh, Wikipedia page, I think if he was to finish next season with us, he'd have managed us more than any other club. I mean, that's great. Do you think he'll stay? Hi, Phil. Do you think there's a chance that Carlos Corbran is potentially the long-term successor to Marcelo Bielsa? Is that the thinking inside the club? My elder brother managed to wangle himself into one of the posh seats in the West End for the Preston at home game. And he claims that a little birdie told him, and there is a rumour that Marcelo Bielsa was interviewed for the Arsenal job before they appointed Mikel Arteta. Can you ask Phil to confirm or deny these rumours? Hi, folks. Quick question from the heart of budgie-loving Norfolk. Everybody's concerned about us losing players at the end of this season because the big boys are interested. Shouldn't we be more worried about losing Bielsa? He showed an awful lot off against Arsenal. Let's start with Arsenal and the recruitment process down there. It's news to me if he was interviewed. They did do an interview process as part of it, but Arteta was always first choice and it felt like they were um, they were pretty much going down that route from from the start. So, no, I don't think he was, but I couldn't say 100%. I, I honestly haven't asked the, the question about that. In terms of his future, in simple terms, yes, he almost certainly will stay next season if they go up. You, you never quite know with him, but I, I always say that. I, I find it almost incredible to imagine him getting Leeds promoted and saying, do you know what? No, I don't really fancy a season of taking on Klopp and Guardiola and, and others. It, it would seem to be a kind of, well, it seems strange, altruistic, but some might say pointless exercise to come and do that and then not take the, the benefits of it. So it, it would certainly be on the cards. It would need to be negotiated because his contract would be up at the end of the season. And like, as was the case at the end of last season, they would need to discuss an extension with him. An extension would depend on his various requirements and demands being met, which Leeds would almost certainly try to do. And, and that, I think, would be the only way in which I could see it falling apart if he wanted certain players or if he wanted certain infrastructural commitments, uh, investments that Leeds weren't able to promise, then then perhaps um, perhaps he might go. But no, I, I think in the Premier League, I'd, I'd 100% expect him to be in charge. If um, they don't get promoted, I think he will definitely go. I don't see him doing season three in the Championship. I don't think... Anybody does, including people at Leeds. I think they would assume that it's um, that it's all done. So quickly on, on replacements, the, the name I keep hearing over and over again is Lee Boyer at Charlton, and they do seem very, very keen on him. I think it would all be a case of timing and, and circumstances, and depending on on how well he was doing and, and who else was in the frame. Flores, I can't see it because he seems to go everywhere with uh, like the other assistants, Quiroga and Reyes. Comes with Bielsa, goes with Bielsa. They seem to be an entire package, and there doesn't seem to be any appetite for um, for managed managerial um, experience on on his part. And with Corbin, I think again it's, it comes down to experience and the question of are you looking for somebody who is going to try to replicate what Bielsa has done or are you looking for somebody who is just going to try and use the the fact that Bielsa has been successful, do their own thing and move forward in, in that way. I think Coburn is somebody who could give you the, the transition, but it would be a, a massive risk. And I have to say, anybody who isn't Bielsa trying to do what Bielsa does has got a huge job on. And that's the thing is that because it's so almost perfect in terms of what he does, isn't it? It's so it's like wholesome. We love it so much. that, And it's unique. Yeah, the, the thought of it not being here. And you understand why people are described in Chile, for example, as the widows of Bielsa. You never quite get over him being there. I think we'll feel like that when he leaves because it is almost just too perfect in a way. Yeah, and it's somebody like Corbyn being asked to carry that on on a hiding to nothing on the basis that the players and so on will respect Bielsa's 
tactics and his ideas and his, his philosophies and the way he forces them to work because it's him but somebody else trying to implement all that because this is what Bielsa does and this worked for Bielsa is not the same thing and it doesn't need to be a clean break in the sense that you abandon everything that's gone on before but I think you're going to need a very big personality after this and I think you're going to need somebody who is brave enough to do their own thing and is brave enough to, to deviate from some of what Bielsa does because it can't be his way forever I mean football moves on and, and things change but there is going to come a point where we're going to have to shift into a different era you feel like almost that's what Man United have done with Solskjaer a little bit thinking right he worked under Ferguson so he can replicate the magic yeah and, and I mean I, I see quite often the talk about you know social chats to Ferguson and, and speaks to Ferguson takes how do I do it Ferguson. what do I do well yeah and, and I suddenly said to myself if you are manager of a club as big as Manchester United should you need advice from Ferguson it's not to say that you wouldn't want to speak to him or you wouldn't want to chat to him for, from time to time or there might not be things that are, are useful to know and I'm sure for example I'm sure Jurgen Klopp will speak to people like Dalglish and so on but you're not telling me that Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool is taking guidance from former managers to do what he's doing there he's just doing his thing and, and it's working because he's a, an exceptional coach so you would need somebody who could come in and be big enough to, to run the place without worrying about the fact that they've got Bielsa's shadow over them and without even attempting to mimic what Bielsa does because quite honestly I think there's no point <laughs> One of the things that we said in the wake of the Arsenal game was how we thought in terms of continuity how Bielsa was in his element almost there in, in the dugout at, at the Emirates and he looked like he was at home almost like that's where he should be I kind of felt differently about it and I feel like I'm I have this nagging doubt that there might be a bit more of a question at the end of the season because I keep remembering what Gordon Strachan said after he'd won the, the first division with Leeds, which was that the second division was the job and that always meant more to him because he'd been, he'd been brought to the club and had said, your job is to get us out of Division 2. And once he did it, he said that was the most satisfying moment of his career and even winning the first division after that, it was secondary to to doing the job. And that's the job Bielsa was brought here to do, is get this club out of the, the second division. When the Premier League is where he belongs and the football we played on Monday, I think, is it did seem some of the crispness of our passing, and when you were talking before about us playing our way out of danger, seemed better than we do in the, the championship. It's, everything seemed set up. But then what does Bielsa talk about most in his, his press conferences? It's that modern football at the highest levels is falling apart and is <laughs> ruining itself and, and is destroying itself through financial greed and concentration on results ahead of beauty. And that the real things that he values and likes that he's discovered in England is League One and Two and non-league. Yeah, because it's interesting that because I was just going to say, in, in reality, the Championship is no better than the Premier League in that respect in terms of throwing money at everything and, and being desperate for results. I wonder how much he factored in when he came the support and the city and, and how much he was going to feel invested in it and I do think there would be a quite strong element of guilt in him if at the end of this season Leeds were promoted not about the fact that he got the club promoted but about the fact that he said do you know what I'm I'm off home I'm going back to Rosario and you're, you're never going to see me again I think I think he'll find the tie much more difficult to cut than he probably thought he would when he first took the job. He knew all about the history in the background and, and all that stuff that, that gets spoken about. But I think he's actually felt it. And because of that, it'll be hard for him to go. And, and to go back to the question about was he interviewed for the Arsenal job, I can't see him taking another job in England, regardless no. of how it goes here, regardless of how well he does in the Premier League. I just think he'll, if they do go up, he'll be in the Premier League for a fairly short period. And as far as English football goes, that'll probably be him done. Wednesday at the weekend then, Phil. You are noted for being a prediction king. Um, <laughs> Leeds can't mess it up from here, etc., etc. What is your one to watch from this upcoming game then at the weekend? The, the, the player or the battle that we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, not a, not a prediction, but one to watch is Super Tom Lees, who is incredibly actually making his 200, 200th league appearance for Sheffield Wednesday which considering he's only been there for five and a half years and I say only but I was working it out is he is good for 36, 37, 38 appearances every season which which tells you what a, a good pro he is and what a sort of reliable defender he is as well so yeah he'll be, be back on familiar familiar stamping ground I'd forgotten actually in the infamous 6-0 defeat down at Hillsborough that it was it was Lees who made way for Matt Smith before Matt Smith got sent off after after 60 seconds which is a pointless piece of trivia but factual nonetheless so yeah we'll, we'll look out for Lees and see what happens and I think he'll, he'll have a busy afternoon so 1-0 to Leeds with a Lees on goal then are we thinking would be perfect absolutely Right, uh, you can catch up with all Phil's writings on The Athletic. Get a 40% discount right now by heading to theathletic.com and using the code LEADSPOD. That's it for this one. We'll speak to you next time. 